Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right. So, welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal in a sea of noise and teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there is hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Today, we're going to talk about the superior qualities of Bitcoin as money. And we will spare a few moments somewhere in there to consider the crying baby lizards. I'd always think about the crying baby lizards. Later today, we've got Amboss coming on to talk about lightning, which is interestingly interesting and timely, excuse me, because of the, um, the crazy ordinal stuff that's raised the, the fees for on-chain transactions. So I'd like to get uh, their perspective. That's going to be cool. So I have, a, uh, I have a message to all of you from the lizard people. I uh, this I received this in my inbox this morning. They want you to know that you aren't allowed to print trillions of dollars, but as long as the U.S. government is doing it, then that's okay. According <laughs> that to Brad so Sherman, funny. <laughs> I can't believe he was. Well, I guess I can't believe that he was out there saying that part out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy, right? Masks off, like masks are like off. What's up, Wicked? So, I mean, this is a very, very interesting topic, isn't it? And I have a very relevant animation I put out this morning for this very topic. So, I don't know, man. Like, one of the things that is interesting is tracking, you know, what they, what, what they estimate to be total global wealth. And obviously, their estimates are going to be in terms of dollars, since that's the revert, you know, the reserve money right now. But, like... Looking from when Bitcoin first launched in 2009 to now, right? Like right now, total global wealth is estimated to be over $500 trillion, right? That's one estimate. Some other people say that it, you know, it's in the quadrillions already, but let's just take that $500 trillion. The same, you know, same institution, which was the Credit Suisse Research Institute that, uh, that estimated that, they also estimated that that total global wealth was just over 200 trillion when bitcoin first started so i mean taking those estimates i mean we're talking about over a doubling of you know quote unquote total global wealth but we all know that 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 the the wealth of the world hasn't doubled in 14 years right it hasn't doubled in 14 years what's happened is they've printed trillions and trillions of dollars and so this this nominal value has more than doubled, but the actual wealth of the world 
you know, although it has increased, I'm sure, right? Technologically, we've gotten better, we've gotten more productive, yada, 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 but not by two times plus, right? So what this means, if you think about it, it means that if your net worth didn't double in that time span, which most people, I would say, probably did not experience that, then you're getting poorer. While everyone else closer to the money printer, their net wells did double or more, probably more. I mean, you look at all these fucking cantillionaires, their net wells fucking doubled in the last two years. So, I mean, that's what you're dealing with here when you're talking about money printers is, you know, this perceived nominal value is exploding very rapidly. And everyone who's not close to the money printer is getting poorer because their net worths aren't, you know, keeping pace with the amount of money printing. Whereas everyone close to the money printer is getting richer because they can actually keep up with it because they're close to the spigots. So, yeah, I don't know. I hope that makes sense. And before you uh, feel sorry for any American, regardless of how much money they have or don't have, every single citizen of the United States is closer to the money printer than any other person in the world. So they're not getting fucked as bad, but I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Americans getting fucked. Exactly. They're not getting fucked as bad and they're not, and, and we, our, our nation is not being resource mined, not by, excuse me, our nation is being resource mined by the cantillaires that are in our nation, but not by other nations. I would suggest that the middle class is getting resource mined. Like the middle class right now is, is the wealth of the middle class is being completely drained and siphoned away. And uh, it's being transferred to this very small group of people through the can through the cancel on effect, which That's basically what I is, just is, said, Alex. I know. I'm I know. See it's Tomer, okay, Peter. it's not just you. Peter, you're uh, you're, so you're, you're smart. You're you're smart, Peter. You're a good guy, Peter. You're trying your best. Greg Foss, good morning, man. What's up? Hi, guys. Um, you know, yesterday's Brad Sherman uh, uh, clown statement uh, probably translated to anywhere else in the world means this very simply. The United States can print energy out of thin air. Think about that. The United States, so this builds on Peter's Currently. statement. I beg your pardon? Currently, they can print a proxy for energy. Currently. No, it's a petrodollar. Look, you can yeah, no, print I, as many I, petrodollars I as you want. You print energy out of thin air. Energy is priced in petrodollars. You print energy out of thin air. That is okay. why. Okay, but it's it, But it's energy that's continually losing value rapidly. It's kind of like a really shitty no, battery. No, actually, look, actually, if you actually store all that energy in the strategic petroleum reserve or something of that nature, it would probably gain value. Ah, uh, yes. Correct. Okay. I so don't forget, that. like, I mean, like energy cannot be, can be neither created nor destroyed. Okay. That is the first law of thermodynamics. So if you take that as the principle and you live anywhere else in the world where you don't have the U S dollar, but you're exporting valuable natural resource energy that took thousands and thousands and millions of years to create, right? And you can print dollars that can purchase that energy, and that energy is priced in petrodollars. Then you can print energy out of thin air. And that is why, go ahead. 
wouldn't it be safer to or more correct to say that they're stealing energy through printing of dollars? Well, yeah, perhaps. Which- yeah, perhaps. I guess you you know you can take it to any extreme, but uh, Sherman, you know, what a faux pas, right? It wasn't just a faux pas. Uh, you know, it's it's actually laughing at the rest of the world, laughing at the rest of the world with his fucking clown face, like. You know, it's really, really unbelievable that a guy that looks like the clown at the carnival that you shoot a water pistol in to make a balloon blow up behind his head. You kids are too young for that. Go to an old-fashioned carnival. I've won plenty of stuffed animals, sir. Excuse me. Well, (laughs) it's beautiful that his face is exactly the same as the clown that I used to shoot a water pistol, a water gun at, to win a prize, right? It's unbelievable how... you can't make this stuff up. If they were to make a cartoon about this, no one would believe it. Yet it's happening in real life. So you, you know I the just, part that I think really rubbed people wrong is is that he's so unaware. He's so self unaware when he says, "Well, these guys think they can print trillion do- trillions of dollars," but and, and they're going to say we do too. But we can because we're the U.S. government. I mean, there's so much hubris and so much lack of self awareness and so much just. I mean, it's just ridiculous and it's just a big, it's a huge turnoff. I think that's why the whole thing went super viral. I was just going to say, I mean, I I think that, you know, this uh, siphoning of the world resources using dollars, I mean, in particular energy, uh, can only last so long before the energy producing nations just, you know, price energy, stop. price energy in Bitcoin. Exactly. As soon yeah, as stop, stop valuing the dollar, and then as soon a, a as Putin money to use prices his oil and natural gas in Bitcoin, which closes the loop. Right, digital energy in trade for natural resource energy, the law right. of conservation or, or, of energy, or, or or like or like the UAE. I mean, like you know, I mean, all all the energy producers of the world. I mean, I think. Uh, what was the news recently? The the mining news coming out of um, fuck Bhutan, the, Bhutan, that, that country. No, Bhutan. no, no, not Bhutan. There was a more recent one uh, that came out yesterday. I think I saw an article. Uh, basically, a huge investment in mining, in emerging mining. Uh, you mean, uh, yeah, emerging mining? Okay, no, I didn't see that. But wicked look. Uh, you know, we try. And- hey, Greg. Greg, does yeah. does the does the market cap of Bitcoin have to increase to be um, um, able to to um, utilize to, to be able to to not withstand? What's the word I want to be able to to trade in accommodate, that kind of volume? To accommodate. Or does the trade in that kind of volume cause the market cap to go up? That's that's so I like answer, curious, what do you think? answer number two. All right. Answer number two. All right. So, All right. so, so the major the majority of, of oil purchased in the world. Purchased on credit, so if you if you remove credit from the system and require a hard money system standard, you crash the price of oil. You don't actually increase it; you crash the price. So, oil based nations want they have the incentive they, they they would 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 rather have the dollar at this point because it increases their productive capacity. Question: Is it credit denominated in U.S. dollars, though? That's the only type of credit there is. Okay, but is it is it possible that there could be credit denominated in in Bitcoin at some point? Say that again. Is it possible there could be credit denominated in Bitcoin at yeah, some point? Yeah, credit denominated in Bitcoin is just re-hypothecated Bitcoin. So you're basically just inflating the money supply beyond the twenty one cap. 
That's what that's what FTX. Well, it's a der- it, it's a derivative. De- credit is yeah. basically a derivative, is it not? Correct. So you're yeah. So so you can one million because you're basically saying no. You're creating derivatives. It's not the same thing. It, it is absolutely the same thing. If I have guys, Bitcoin, it depends on your reserve ratios. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. Don't don't assume that uh, credit based on a system that's twenty five times levered because that's how the fiat system right. works. So I'm a Bitcoin bank. I only write Bitcoin loans. I give you Bitcoin on chain. You know, in in exchange for some sort of interest rate. Okay. Um, and yet have to compensate for the fact that Bitcoin is, you know, a unique asset, right? It's irreplaceable. So you have to factor that into the rate. So the borrowing rate is going to be a lot higher. But uh, if I'm a bank, a Bitcoin only bank lending out only in Bitcoin, let's say your reserve ratio to Greg's point is much lower than uh, or higher uh, rather uh, to, to um, uh, lend, right? So like, what are you going to lend at? 20 to 1, 10 to 1? Sure. To 1? But here's, here's the thing, Joe. This is that you said it yourself that it's a derivative. That's a derivative. It's not the underlying asset. And no, no, it when, is because you have to give them Bitcoin, right? Unless you're going to give them sort of an IOU, which is not Bitcoin. I, if I'm lending out in Bitcoin, okay, that's fair. But the contract is a derivative, is what I'm saying. The structure of the of the asset is a derivative. It's not the underlying. Sure, you're transferring the underlying. Sure, you're denominating the underlying, but it's not the underlying. It right. is a derivative. But, it is a contract. In that, in that example, okay, if everybody came and said, I want the Bitcoin back that I've lent to the bank because people are keeping Bitcoin in the bank, which seems then really crazy. Then those, those contracts would fail. The issuing entity of the contracts would fail. And well, then assuming you would, that there's only one bank. But if there's multiple banks, yeah, then but you know, point, it's not necessarily the case. Point, that, point that being, single bank would fail. Point being is, is that there, this is a contract that has an underlying, and that at some point, you know, it can be called. It's either going to fail or it's going to, or it's going to go right. But this, it's this not. Is... Sorry, Alex. Well, all I was saying is it's not the underlying. I mean, that literally I think, I think, is the yeah. definition of a de- derivative. Is it? Not? I think you like, guys. Yes and no, Alex. You guys might be looking at this the wrong way. Okay, Bitcoin explain. lending is right. gonna, okay. If Bitcoin lending will start by using Bitcoin as the collateral, the most pristine form of collateral. Okay, and then the contract will be structured off of that, not the reverse way around that I'm understanding. You've got yeah, but are. if you're using Greg, Bitcoin is collateral. Let's just use that. You're using Bitcoin, so the the pristine collateral now is treasuries, right? Because correct, again, correct. If, yep, you, yep. if you swap that out, that pristine collateral, and you use Bitcoin as a collateral, what are you writing the loans in? U.S. dollars. That's fair. I don't want the U.S. dollar to fail, Joe. I've said that many, many times. I know many you times. don't. I'm just I'm explaining it for folks that are thinking this through. Well, you could, you, you could have that too, right? I don't see anything wrong with that. hundred percent you can have it. And that's well, why that, the United there, States... There's, there's actually something here that is being built right now in Bitcoin that does do what you guys are talking about. It's fed them into cashew. These are basically Bitcoin banks that are kind of private banks yep. that have sort yeah, of being built full, reserve, right, right before guys. Full, full reserve ratio banks. For, so for now. Point, as yeah. these things get built out, somebody's got probably to make a choice to say, well, I'm going to issue cashew tokens or, or I'm going to create a, a mint that is 90% reserved or, by or, Bitcoin. Or not even that, And Brad. then the interest rate like maybe adjusts like Joe said, to make up for the risk of this thing being a finite asset, so the interest rate is probably going to be like 12, 15 percent or something like that. Yeah, but that's not a derivative contract. That's just the way that the money system goes. Correct. Involved. It's not. It's not a derivative. It's just 
that's just that's what you would do in a Bitcoin world. Yeah, I mean there will be there will be private banking, and there's going to. And we got to kind of watch for this, right? Like we, this is being built out. Be hey, Brad, I don't. I, Brad, I don't think you can hear Wicked. No, you might hear Wicked. I don't know. We're just kind of talking over each other. Oh, is Wicked? Oh, one second. Yeah, there Brad, reconnect. Never mind. Can't see. <laughs> can't hear me. It might be me too. I don't know. Um, I, I just wanted to say real quick. I found the article uh, posted up in the Nest. You know, Bitcoin miner marathon partners with zero two, backed by Abu Dhabi's. 853 billion sovereign wealth fund to create the Middle East's first large-scale immersion BTC mining operation. And then Jason Lowry retweeted it and said, soft <laughs> software heats up. Wow. Wow. Do you pee? That is huge. Let's Thank you go. for pointing this. That is fucking huge. Wait, I just missed something important. Say it again. <laughs> it's in the nest. Yeah, Foss, Foss. Holy, 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 holy. All right. Thank you, Twitter Spaces, for helping the world get a uh, leap, a, a jump on the rest. Of this is a friggin' huge, huge announcement. Just me interpreting in your attic. Uh, but oh my good Lord, this is unbelievable. Yes, it's starting. Cash Wars. It already okay, started. It's just heating up, baby. Let's go back and quickly to the to the inflation discussion and the cancel on effect because there's a really good video I want you guys to hear. This is Jeff Booth talking to Pomp. We don't really promote Pomp, but we do promote Jeff Booth because he's an awesome, intelligent dude. Let's roll it. Right. Say this over and over and over again because it's so important. Most of government revenue comes from inflation. Mm-hmm. A hidden repressive tax. That is, that is levied on the middle class and poor, that they have no realization that somebody's walking into their house, stealing their money and their wages and their time and transferring it to other people. And until that is brought into light and, and, and politicians are advocating on, on truth, then all of this, all of the other things that people are talking about on top of this it, uh, is, is just nonsense. But people believe in those narratives. I would venture to say 99% of people all over the world, 98% of people all over the world believe inflation is required for a productive economy. And they never asked why. Like, why, why is inflation required for a productive economy? Um, they, 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 like, does, does that make sense? Does it make sense? What rate of theft is required for a productive economy? Because that's what you're saying. powerful stuff man he jeff booth is very articulate dude is he canadian i don't know i think he might be canadian we don't hold it against him wow ouch oh, hold on hold on one sec <laughs> need to get you some higher quality sound bits you, you, we're gonna we're gonna host a space on Saturday just for Greg Foss to play with his uh, soundboard. I was asking gonna ask Pubby if I could go on and test all these different sounds. I didn't want to burden you guys with it, but I figured Pubby would. Like Greg, to play clearly with you've been you've been practicing because you got those sounds perfectly. I just hit the middle of the soundboard. I had no idea, but a kangaroo doesn't really sound like that. I think that's a bad one. Crickets is a great one. That's crickets on a trading floor. 
That used to be a good one. Absolutely crickets on a trading floor, but we got to get some better ones. My dream is to go to one of these conference after parties and just see all the smoke and fosses, the DJ with all the sound effects, just, <laughs> just spinning. I'm not oh, sure you'd want to see that. Yeah, I don't, but here's my last one. Then I'll step down. Remember this Abu Dhabi announcement is friggin' huge. Wake up people. Wake up. <laughs> yeah. Ash Wars in full force. Okay. Yep. I was just going to say what's interesting about that clip you played with what Sherman was talking about is this concept that government only exists to preserve property, right? The John Locke and basically Sherman is just, you combine the booth comment with his saying, no, nah, we don't exist to preserve the property. We, we're the U.S. government. We exist to take it. To print money and transfer the wealth of the population of the world into the hands of a small group of people. This is why we Bitcoin. For those of you who are joining us now, uh, you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. This is episode number 343. Shout outs to Lintable Navigator Crown over on Fountain. Let's do some stats. The Bitcoin impenetrable force field level is at. I had it at like 390 something. I'm sorry. I don't have it in front of me right now, actually. But I saw it over 400 yesterday. It's crazy, right? It's a lot. Fat, oh, by the way, the fee is coming down. Fastest fee is, is now at 47 sats per V-byte. That's down quite a bit from where it was over the last, I don't know, six days or whatever it's been. The craziness. But let, we are, let's, change, let's change the chain. Let's, you know, let's change the code. It's, we don't need it. it. Let's just change it. Hey, I've got a question. I'm reading the uh, Yahoo News report on this uh, um, collaboration between uh, Abu Dhabi and Marathon. They're, they're going to set up two 250-megawatt mining um, sites. Can anybody tell me, you know, what, what kind of uh, size that is? Is that, a, is that like a test size? Is that a real, a real mining site? Massive. Did you say 250 megawatts? Massive. Massive. Yeah, two 250-megawatt yeah. uh, mining, uh, mining yeah, sites according to the that's... press release. And Abu Dhabi, the Zero Two, which is the sovereign fund's company within the sovereign fund, is going to own 80%. Uh, Marathon's only owning 20%. Yeah, and here's the kicker. Do you know that the Middle East ha is the source of the most flare gas in the world? So if they figure out actually how to do this based off of flare gas, the cost of energy is negative. Okay, man, this is friggin' huge. I don't know how to say it any other way. There's no soundboard, so I'll just say it. Wake up, fucktards. You are missing this and it's happening in live right in front of you guys. Now I have to sit down because I did swear. I apologize. Yeah, yeah Foss, it says here, the sites will be powered by excess energy in Abu Dhabi, increasing the base load and sustainability of that Middle Eastern's capital power grid. Bam, bam. 500 megawatts is quite a bit. Uh, you know, 250, two times, yeah. Yeah, well, it's two plants at 250 each. Oh, that's 500 wow. total, right? So that's quite wow. a bit. The the, ligate, the largest installation I think I've ever heard of, I think is Riot, if I'm not mistaken. They did, they've just recently opened up a one, gigabit, uh, one gigawatt plant that I think might be the largest in the world, but 500 megawatts is, is no joke, man. That's, um, that is no joke. That's half the Hoover Dam. 
Five hundred megawatts is half the Hoover Dam. Now, now think of it like this too. No, two hundred and fifty. The Hoover Dam has two plants which do two point four uh, or two hundred and forty megawatts. Think of it like this: this is probably a pilot program, right? That they're just going to test it and see what's up. So they're testing it, like they're coming on online with five hundred megawatts of of hash power. And it's probably just a test. Like, imagine if they are like, hey, this is a good idea. Let's go. Honestly, this could be the biggest announcement I've read in a long, long time, people. I, I don't mean to overplay this. What it does mean, though, is if you are a Bitcoin miner that does not have partnerships like this with uh, entities that own excessively cheap power, meaning almost negative, you'll probably be going out of business. Okay. So Marathon's doing this as much for the profits as well as for preservation, okay? You need to own your power-producing assets. Not only that, they're also getting some geopolitical diversification because if you notice, you know, a lot of the nonsense coming out of the White House lately has been basically a direct attack on the mining industry. This whole Dame thing, that's a direct attack, you know, in the words of, I I think, I'm trying to remember who said it. It might have been Lowry, but it was like friendly fire, you know? You're attacking your own people by yep. attacking Bitcoin yep. mining. Yep, 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 yep. So, so this is a way for Mara to get some exposure outside of the United States of America, which is, I think at this point, it might be necessary. I don't know. Well, it's just smart. Yeah, I mean, you know, decentralize your network. <laughs> um, I, don't, I, I don't know if we, we wanted to go back to the, the Jeff Booth clip. But one thing I wanted to maybe just comment, and I, I kind of brought it up yesterday too, just in terms of like expansionary monetary theory. Um, I feel like it stems from an idea that makes sense, but it doesn't make sense anymore in the world we live in today. So if you've got like 10 gold coins and you're trying to operate an entire economy on 10 gold coins, you know, back in the day when you're not rehypothecating them or you're actually, you know, whatever, you're actually using those 10 coins. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't run an economy on that shit, right? Like, and that's why, like, you, you know, you need to expand the money supply in that sense. You need to have more gold coins in order to have a, an efficient economy. And I think that makes sense to an extent, right? Like if you're using real money, but then they've bastardized that and they've brought it to fiat and it doesn't really make sense anymore when you can just print the money at will. You understand what I'm saying? So like this expansionary theory of money, I think it has a place in a certain, in a very particular type of world where you're using, you know, kind of money that can't be, you know, like money that's not very divisible and you literally need more units of it in order to operate an economy efficiently. But when you're talking about a digital money, you know, whether it's the dollar or Bitcoin, you know, you can divide it. And so it doesn't really matter in that sense. And then with the dollar, you can just print more of it. And so like, you know, it's like they're, they're taking this to the nth degree, right? By just, you know, doubling the money supply every whatever, five to 10 years. And it's, it's kind of just, you know, it's making everything crazy. Hey, I put that uh, Yahoo article up in the nest. Also, so I'm, how not, do you I'm, access- I'm not an economist and I have no idea what I'm talking about. How do you access something that's in the nest, fellas? Like once everyone says it's in the nest, I can't fucking get into the nest. How do you so, access this? So if you're looking at the all the speakers, right, and all the people in the room, you just okay. grab it 
and pull it down a little bit and you'll Grab see. Grab it. Hold on. Touch like you, it with your you, finger and you, hold it and drag. <laughs> and drag it. And drag it where though? Greg, Greg, Greg. Greg. Oh, oh, are, you yeah. saying, are you saying how you access like the older posts? Yeah, Greg. Let, yes. let, let the boomer, oh, swipe, let the boomer help over. the boomer, please. Okay, yeah, Greg, just touch yeah, your finger. Top. Touch your finger on the screen in between some of these icons and drag okay. down. Drag, I, I got it, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Marathon above, you should see yeah. stack chain signal. I just, okay, finance. so I just liked you. I just liked it. All right. Now if I retweet it, it'll go from there. Well, yes. you just tap on yeah, it, it and then it'll open. Okay, up I'm retweeting it. I'm retweeting it. All right. And I'm going to comment Peter's a clown. Okay. Let's see if that works. Perfect. <laughs> boomer tech support here, guys. Here we go. Okay, boomer, see if you guys Sometimes got this. a boomer needs to, to help a boomer. Let's see. Peter Let is a clown. Help a Let's boomer. see if that works. Can everyone see that? Terms. And then I'm going to delete it because it's, you're not hey, a clown. No, no, Thank Foss, you, brother. Wait, wait, yeah. Foss, before you delete yeah. it, have you deleted it yet? No. Okay. So before you, so one like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So are you on, are you on the post right now? Yes, I am. You see that little, that little icon that looks like a, like a, like kind of a square with an arrow pointing up out of it. Yeah. That, I can copy that link. I know how to do that. No, no, no. Click that. Yeah. And now see at the top, it says share tweet and there's a cafe B. That's how you put things in the nest. I put share tweet. Nest, yeah. Okay. Brother. So, but, okay. Cafe. Yeah. If B. you click on that cafe B, you can share it in the nest now. Oh, you dirty dogs. I am dangerous. <laughs> I am dangerous. Thank you. I, I already, I already there you showed go. him how to do yeah, that. Yeah, but I didn't figure it out. You went too DMs. fast. You went too fast. And DMs don't work with me because I can't follow a picture at the same time as trying to do it. But you guys, I love you guys. I really do. Jesus, Thank you, guys. Boss, I circled it and everything. You know what? I see circles all the time, my friend. It doesn't mean shit to me. I got to do it in real time. So now I know how to do it. So I'm taking off Peter's a clown and I'm going to so Peter is a superstar. All right. So delete tweet. Watch this. Delete tweet. And now I'm saying, okay, Greg, you can do this without talking. We're going to keep rolling here. Okay, then mute me, mute me, <laughs> mute me, mute me, because I can't do both. You got to mute me right now. He has to talk through. All right, you guys ready to switch topics or you have anything else on inflation? I, well, does anyone have any fucking comments about that? Because like, you know, I'm not an economist and I'm sure that what I'm saying is total it, fucking you know what? Here, bullshit. Whether but you're like, an no one seems to have or... no, no one seems to have an opinion on this when I talk about it, and it's kind of like I think it is an interesting idea, but maybe it's not. <laughs> I think sometimes when people are quiet, they're just thinking about it. Like people might not have a good rebuttal, or they might not have something intelligent to say about it because they're still processing it. Like I hear stuff in this space all the time that causes me to just think about it because. There's a lot of smart people that hang around, you know, and, I, and I'm learning well, things all the time. Oh, sorry, hey, I'd like to say one thing. Go ahead, Foss. Yeah, so thanks. And then I promise I'm stepping down. I sent a tweet that got good traction yesterday for people that don't understand inflation, okay? I sent out the tweet. It said something along the lines of, I'm well on my way to losing weight. Last month, I only gained 4.9 pounds. But the month before, I had gained 8 pounds. Do you understand how fucked up inflation statistics are if that is a victory? Inflation compounds right. people. All right? It's a victory because they want inflation. It's Oh, they have to. Joe, Joe, they have to. It's how the fiat it, it, system works. Yeah, no, but what I'm saying is that's why I don't 
the, so the analogy you give is, is the analogy like, oh, I want to lose weight. Well, they're, they would dispute that. They would say, no, we want, we want to uh, gain weight. Another lawyer. Oh my goodness. But well, come it's on, also, you got some traction. You got some traction. It's, it's also a, a victory in the sense that like, uh, that forms the narrative, right? And pe there's a lot of dumb people. Unfortunately, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's true. And it works. I mean, that's, that might be the reason why it, I mean, it's still working. You know what I mean? Look at all the crazy stuff that's been pulled on people over the last three years. Just con after con after con after con. And people still falling for that crap. If you're buried in debt, inflation is one of the best things you could possibly have. You want, you want as much inflation as possible. Because if you're buried in debt. Wait, well, I don't get that. If you're an individual Joe. or a business. It helps. Can we talk you. about this for a second? Because somebody brought this up to me on a Mac. You, you can't hear Joe. Fred. No, I can hear Joe. Oh, okay. I, just, I just want to ask him clarifying question. This thing to me doesn't make any sense because if you're in debt and you are a middle class or lower class person, if you're like in poverty, say, and you have debt, your debt is a high interest. Not the low bench rate interest that banks and VCs and super wealthy people are getting. Do you own a house, Brad? I mean, that's it, the key. Well said, Joe. It's the it's what debt is it? Not credit card debt, mortgage debt, fixed asset sure. debt, hard assets. Yes, that but, works. But, but that statement, though, that inflation is good for poor people or good for the population. You're paying less in tomorrow's so, dollars. So, Brad, Brad, so here's some. You're just paying less in okay? tomorrow's dollars. Here, here, here's some statistics, and and you can look them up on on um, what the hell's the page? Stratfor. I'll send it to you. So 62% of the U.S. population, 62% have a negative net worth, meaning that their total uh, liabilities exceed their current assets. That's nearly two-thirds of the population. Negative net worth. So those people yeah, that, but have, Joe, that they owe more than they, they, all, their, their liabilities exceed. But that doesn't those mean old, that they're low interest rates. They can be negative net worth at 15% interest. Hold on a second. They have a negative net worth, nearly nearly two-thirds of the population. So if you take that nearly two-thirds of the population, they owe more in debt, okay? They have more liabilities than their assets. If that is the case, the best thing for those folks is to inflate away their liabilities. Even if it's a lower inflation, inflation rate than their interest rate, it's still better to Correct. inflate than to deflate is what Joe's saying. No, that, that doesn't make sense because most people are on high interest debt and they have high credit cards. Brad, would it, would it make more sense to have a high interest debt in Bitcoin or high interest debt in dollars? Brad, even, about, even, Brad, Brad and Joe are both right. Debt. Brad yeah. and Joe are both right, okay? It makes no sense if you have no hard assets. It makes a ton of sense if you have hard assets that is are levered to that debt. Full stop. And that's why banks have to have inflation because a bank only has $4 of capital or risk-absorbing capital on $100 of loans. Don't you think they want the collateral to appreciate in value as well? It's that simple, guys. It does not make sense with credit card debt. It is a debt spiral for anybody in credit card debt because the interest rates will increase in lockstep with inflation. But if you have fixed assets, hard assets, yes, it does make sense. So you're both right. Okay, let's uh, keep rolling here. I don't know who's who's next. Nate, Dombe? I was just going to, and I've said this before, but I just want to reiterate it. The middle class is defined uh, I was just 30,000. Use the example of paying down, you know, a fixed uh, low hey. interest bond, but... Don, Don Bay, I think you can't hear Nate. 
Re- reconnect, please. I don't know what the hell's up with spaces today. Dombe, reconnect. Nate, go ahead. It's okay. It's uh, it's the Swan Handel's fault. Yeah, I'm gonna blame Swan. Um, the middle class is defined as thirty to ninety thousand dollars income for a single person, not married, just single. In 2020, the median income at, uh, average was thirty-one and a half thousand dollars. Last year, CPI peaked at nine point one percent. Inflation itself. From wait, wait, wait. That's that's no way. That's the cost of middle class. Jane, let him let him finish, please. It is. Money is not worth very much anymore, Jane. So the inflation was measured at roughly fifteen point one percent. If you simply do the basic math, that the cost of living increased by fifteen point one percent. Thirty-one thousand five hundred dollars fell below what thirty thousand dollars was in 2020 after we printed four or five trillion dollars i'm not sure it's a specific number but the middle class is not the middle class anymore the middle class is lower middle class almost poor in some cases if they were at the lower level and barely staying there and now we've seen uh savings float into the basement credit spike to record levels credit card usage that brad brought up to, to record levels the inflation itself is permanent it's 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 compounding every year last year was 15 percent. the year before that we didn't really feel it because it hadn't hit the economy fully and now we're just like it's it's dropped to what 4.9 percent as measured by cpi yesterday and that number is going to be reacted upon in a lagging manner and used as a yardstick in a lagging manner. Everybody is still paying that 4.9 plus last year's inflation, plus the year before's inflation, plus the year yeah, that's before the that. compounding. I mean, it's, so, it's it's permanent until we enter a, a severe recession or depression. Right. And, and the wages, the wages everybody receives, they're, they're measured wage inflation, but that always comes later. And Here's here, you not, know what's crazy about compounding. You just said it. At, you have to add last year, the year before that year. The compounding thing is the part that I think most people have a hard time wrapping their mind around. I would suggest to everybody in this thing who's hearing me right now, go research compounding. Look at uh, look at it specifically on a graph because that's the easiest way, at least for me, to understand what actually happens in compounding. On a graph. Compounding looks really flat for a really, 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 really long time. It could be decades and decades of looking kind of flat. It always but then all of a sudden, that. it always looks flat until, like, in, until the most until recent it does data. It. Well, no, the right. most recent data always looks like it's it's going way higher than the the early right. data. Forever. But if you look at if you look at the entire chart, though, at some point, it it makes a vertical like almost straight up. It looks like a hockey stick. Alex, you you're not understanding what I'm saying. It, always looks like that it always okay. looks like that well it's all, it's all i know interest it's works. a moving wave that's why it okay, just that's, depends that's, where you it just depends where you put the y max on the on the y axis but if the y max is always equal to the latest okay, data okay okay y max whatever we we get the we get the picture all right you get what i'm saying so this okay. is really simple i Look, bought a motorcycle he, in april of last year I pay $227 a month in my payment for that motorcycle, okay? I could have bought the thing with cash last year, but I thought about it, and I thought, well, every month that I pay my $227, 
it is less. I'm actually paying less in those dollars from last April. So why wouldn't I want to discount every single month on that payment? Okay. Now, three years ago, I would not have thought of this at all because I didn't understand what the fuck money was. Thank you, Bitcoin. Thank you, Cafe Bitcoin. Thank you, Swan. Thank you, Bitcoin Maxis for, for making me helping me to understand what the fuck money is. That's the problem. And that's what people do in this, in our, in our society and, and our, our nation in particular is they just run along. They have no fucking clue what money is. Once you figure out what money is, this all becomes very obvious. By the way, apparently that the, the miners they're building over there, they are going to be running on nuclear. I haven't confirmed that, but that's what I just heard. Why would they do that when they have, um, I don't know, speculation? Well, if they have a nuclear reactor, then I think using miners to stabilize or like to kind of be a, I mean, you know, the whole fucking thing. Reactor? I don't know, man. I need. A I don't know, dude. I don't. I think. I, I think the, uh, someone, the Israelis said, are pretty someone, good at destroying every fucking nuclear reactor that's outside of uh, uh, their territory. Someone okay. said we'll be nuclear, and then you know posted a YouTube video of uh, digital or marathon digital's uh, uh, CEO talking about it. So I'm gonna watch that and see if he says so. Let's let's get the Joe smacking me down. I want to hear what he has to say. No, Nate, I, I was going to agree with you. Um, so so the, the point that I was going to bring up, which I think is, is critical, is and one, it's one of the reasons why things are confusing for a lot of folks right now in the, in the macro sense is that um, you're absolutely correct that like, you know, metrics like the personal savings rate are have fallen off a cliff uh, because of the higher prices. But what I think most people are either in denial about or just not accepting is what I posted this chart in the nest from Goldman Sachs which shows that on a relative basis, household balance sheets still look relatively good. They're better than they were in 2019 because they printed so much freaking money, or I guess borrowed is the correct term from uh, the feds and put out so much money into the system and they have repaired a lot of household balance sheets. So what Goldman estimates is by the end of the year, they're going to have drawn down about 65% of their excess savings. So, you know, the analogy I equated to is like, you know, you've, you've got a horrible illness, you're, you should be feeling a ton of pain, but you're so juiced up with, uh, you know, uh, painkillers that you don't feel the pain yet. And I think that's a lot of people right now. They're drawing down on all the excess money they've built up on their household balance sheets and maxing out credit cards, which, you know, the day of reckoning will come eventually. But it's very easy to just forget about it in the short run, just build up the balance and say, I'll deal with it later. Um, so like that's that's a key factor here that I think people just, you know, yes, they're not saving as much but they're not feeling the pain yet because they still have a decent amount of cash in their hands and available credit. Do we have a source for the pay buy now, pay later kind of the yeah, new you have that, elements that are coming along? You can see that on Fred. They, they have, they've crunched that data. So, you know, and those are, those are making, I mean, people are, I think Alex was talking about a few weeks back, people are using that to buy groceries. So, you know, you don't really feel the pain until the credit levers get shut down until you cannot borrow anymore. Then you're like, holy crap, I've got no money in my bank account and I can't get access to credit. This is a real problem. And uh, you know, I think you're starting to see the beginnings of it, but there's nothing to say that I can't stretch on another year before people you know, really uh, wear that down. You know what's mind blowing to me in terms of, of debt and credit and all that? I saw a chart the other day that the, the interest payments on the United States government debt is approaching a, a a trillion dollars a year if i if i and i, and I had to like reread that i'm like is this right am i mistaken like 
that's crazy. A trillion dollars. If if you paid a dollar a day to pay that back, it would take you thirty two thousand years to pay it back. I don't know. It's 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 mind blowing to me. Trillion yeah. dollars isn't what it used to be. Sorry to sorry if I'm cutting in, but um earlier I heard people debating debt and uh I, I just want to clarify for anybody in the space that doesn't understand because you've got a, a lot of listeners. So there's a difference between um, debt uh, in people's perception. So there's a difference between being in debt and borrowing. Right? So a lot of people differentiate, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this on debt, but I'm going to I'm going to just like borrow this from someone and make some money off of it and then return it. And people people have somehow been able to divide this idea of debt. And um I think the people that make the most money have figured out that it's the same exact thing. And 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 that's great. And I think it's wonderful, but I think um that's part of why um we are living in this fiat system where this small percentage of people are taking advantage of everybody else. And we have an opportunity to shift it through Bitcoin. And even if people don't understand that debt system, buying into Bitcoin is going to give them that help that they need. And this is why I'm a big part of why I'm supporting Bitcoin is because I feel like it's a, a faster way of educating people is by showing them, I mean, put the money in your hands and, and you could see it change your life in real time. Just, okay, I'm going I'm you know, to pause you right there for one second. I want to ask everybody on the panel right now, when she was talking about, when Jane was talking about the differences between borrowing and debt, does it, does anybody up here understand what she was saying? Does it, does it click with you? I Click think, with me. I, I understand what she's saying. I mean, p- many people buy assets with debt, and they lever up their their net worth. I mean, there was an Axios study from 2021 about how in the crypto market, not necessarily Bitcoin, but in the crypto market, uh, nearly a fourth of participants bought crypto with debt, with with uh, borrowed money. Was that by user or by uh, dollar? By value? user. By user, okay. a for, a for in the crypto market, they're buying. Yeah. And again, I don't know what that means for Bitcoin, but I'm just saying a lot of people, you know, that's margin debt with stocks, right? A lot of people right. I, I was asking people. because a lot of people used 125 X and they got wrecked. But then they just so, opened a new account and did it again. And blah, blah, blah. So what? What but, I what, understood, what I understood Jane to be saying is that people don't understand the difference between what Joe just d- described. They don't understand that that taking on that leverage is 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 actually uh, a debt or, 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 or credit. Yeah. You go to these people that buy real estate, like the, the you know, the Grant Cardone people that they, they'll buy a couple million bucks worth of real estate and put like, you know, a couple hundred thousand down. They'll be levered like, you know, 10 to one. So I think she's explaining good debt versus bad debt, right? Consumer debt versus what Joe was saying. Being able to, you know, acquire debt to buy an asset that's going to cash flow, that's going to be able to, you know, pay off that debt, like real estate, for an example, or a cash flowing business, for an example. So, again, once you understand money, which is what Stack Chain was saying, 
you know, you understand that what you're buying is going to be paid off over time and it's going to be worth less in the future because of the devaluation due to inflation. So I think that's what she's saying, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much, guys, for clarifying that. I try to um, I, I try to get as much language in for everyday individuals as much as I can, because I know that I, I, li I live in Las Vegas and we are the, um, well, last year we were 50th in the nation for education. And uh, this year we're 49th in the nation for education. So uh, we're, we're really limited on the amount of resources we're able to give to the children out here. But I just, uh, which means that basically a majority of people here are at first grade reading level. So I like to make sure that people have an opportunity to understand what everybody else is talking about. I, I, I grew up in a, good family. Both of my parents are doctors. Majority of my family have worked in uh, politics and gov international government, United Nations, all that stuff, right? All that fancy uh, stuff. And I just want to make sure that everybody else has an understanding that uh, hard work can lead to a payoff. So I want to make sure that I'm speaking in basic language uh, so uh, please forgive me for sounding like a total stupid person. I do it on purpose. You don't sound but, like uh, a stupid person. Thanks for <laughs> contributing. Yeah. Um, thank you. But I do, I do just want to point out to people that um, I, I notice that a lot of people when they take out a credit card, uh, or or a, a secured card. So I, I do all this kind of stuff. I sign up for all kinds of crypto services and bank accounts and all these kinds of things just to see how they work. And I take out as much debt as I can. And I see how flexible they are with their debt. So I figured out that a lot of people that take out debit accounts are able to take out a, something called a secured card. And so what they're able to do is they're able to put out like a small amount of money, like $100 or two or $300. I don't know what it is today, but, and they're able to leverage it. Leverage is another word that a lot of people don't understand, but they're able to take that $300 and they're able to build up a 3000 or however knows credit limit, right? So that's how I look at that. I look at that as like, okay, so you took a small amount of money and you built it into a, like a, a large amount of credit. And now you can use that money to gain. But if you lose, you lose nothing, right? You lose $300. So even though you have $3,000 worth of credit, at the end of the day, you will only ever lose $300. And that's how I look at the economic system of America. It's like you will never I lose more than $300. That's, that's a big part of how it works for everyday Americans. Okay. Right. I'm if you have nothing that they're, if you have no assets that are going to fucking come and. Exactly. Back. That's what I'm saying. It's like for the poor yeah, everyday American. <laughs> this is not good advice. <laughs> okay. I mean, that could uh, Tom, literally Tom Bay, did you did you have something? Bitcoin, which then they're gonna fucking come and claw back. So like, don't don't do the stupid shit. If you can't like, if you can't handle it, and you're gonna fucking lose three thousand dollars, then even if you, if you have three thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, they're gonna fucking come and get your Bitcoin. Like, no, I've I've tried it. Like I've that. done it for many years. And have you declared bankruptcy, Jane? 
No, I, exactly. I haven't. So like, you don't know what you're talking That's about. That's the thing is like, I've, I, this has been a test. I don't have any need Go to, to declare, declare bankruptcy. bankruptcy. Like my family is, they don't come and get your Bitcoin. My family's rich. I have absolutely no need to declare bankruptcy. And if, if I, okay. like, I'm going to suggest I'm that we move on to have from this the government right now. come at me just to prove that all, all my tactics. Button, Alex, mute button. Yeah, I invoked it. Thanks for coming up, Jane. All right. Let's keep rolling here. Can a uh, topic just going, rolling back one, I watched the video. Uh, Abu Dhabi is bringing online a five gigawatt nuclear power plant. So there you go. Boom. That. Five gigawatts. Yeah. Wow. They got, they're going to have a lot of spare capacity then. I had a quick question for Joe, Alex, if there's a minute. Yeah, go ahead. The talk about debt, you know, is interesting. And I've always kind of envisioned maybe a possibility where if a CBDC was rolled out, they try to use something like a zero balance debt transfer to lure people in to use it. How realistic would something like that be, Joe, in your opinion, if a CBDC was rolled out, that they offer participants a zero balance uh, debt transfer? Basically, they take on the Fed says, we'll take your debt. You pay it off over however long you want at no interest, but we want you to use our CBDC. Yeah. So you start with the premise of, you know, who actually can directly interface with consumers and legally, the Federal Reserve can't. Right now, that's part of why they think they, can't, they don't have justification to issue CBDC, that they need to have congressional authority to directly interface with consumers. Under the Federal Reserve Act, they're allowed to um, engage in open market operations with certain primary dealers, with the banks, obviously, and other uh, actors on an emergency basis, but they don't have the authority to interact directly uh, with, with uh, you know, retail. Uh, so, you know, to, to offer credit services directly to the retail public that fundamentally changes the nature of our system um, in the United States. Uh, it would, it would uh, well, number one, it would totally disintermediate the banks. There'd be no need for a bank if you could borrow directly from the Federal Reserve, the commercial banks rather. Um, so that would, that would remake a lot. And I, I'm skeptical of the banking lobby that they would permit that to occur and, and use, have their, their entire lending uh, apparatus usurped by the Federal Reserve. Um, I think it's probably more likely in other countries. But um, you know, as, as of right now, technologically, it's possible. Right? There's nothing that would prevent it from uh, occurring from a technological standpoint. It's just really a question of, are you going to remake the entire financial system and disintermediate the, the commercial banking system, which... You know, if you go take the Fed at their word, they, they seem pretty much uh, tied at the hips to commercial banks and wanting to protect and have a robust banking sector. I mean, Powell, during his last presser, even said that, you know, he wants more regional and, and local banks. He doesn't want to disintermediate them. Uh, so I, I, I think it would be strange for that to happen in the United States in the near term. What they say and what they actually do are two different things. But, Joe, I also have a question for you. Um, with all the debt that's accumulated in the in the society, right, especially with, you know, they're already talking about, you know, canceling student loan debt, which I don't think they're going to do. Or, you know, Biden might run on that and you know, use that as his, you know, campaign run to try to get some more votes, uh, which I. Tweeted. Well, I mean, that, that that's in the Supreme Court. Right. And uh, I think most market commentators think that that or legal commentators rather think that that's going to be overturned. 
Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen either. Um, but with all the debt, especially consumer debt, right? Do you think, what do you think is going to be the most probable outcome? Because if everyone's saddled up with all this debt, right? And, you know, there's no, there's no way for consumers to pay it off, especially since they're not investors, right? And they're really just consuming to survive. What do you think is the main, what do you think is going to happen? Like with all this debt, like, is the, are they going to cancel the debt at, at some point and just roll the debt over? What is the overall ending of all this debt that's crippling all the, Amer all, all Americans? Yeah. And I'm thinking a lot of people as well. Yeah. My, my overall thesis on this is that eventually we're on a path towards UBI. I think it's inevitable. Um, I don't, I don't think uh, given what we know about the economy right now, debt levels, automation, concentration, wealth. I mean, it's just a question of when, not if, um, but the larger question is like the existing debt that's out there. Ultimately, what you should expect over the next 10 to 20 years is more of the same. You continue to have situations where who holds the debt? It's held mostly by the, by private actors, whether it be um, you know pension funds, uh, endowment funds, et cetera, uh, nation states, sovereigns. Um, those those debts, particularly the U.S. Treasury market, will increasingly need to be monetized by the Federal Reserve through emergency programs. So they get absorbed, they get stuck on the Fed balance sheet, and then poof, they never really leave. Um, and you've, so you've seen the balance sheet expand, right? And I think you will see it to continue to expand. It's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not a believer that the system is collapsing anytime soon or there's going to be some fundamental shifts. I think, if anything, it accelerates in the path that it has been going. And, uh, you know, you take other examples, uh, you know, places like Japan, which are 20 years further down the line on this. Um, they can they show you quite uh, clearly that this can continue for decades longer than people think it can. Um, it's all BS, right? It's not a sustainable long-term plan, but in the long run, we're all dead. So, you know, for the next couple decades, uh, I, I own Bitcoin because I think that ultimately uh, what, what needs to happen is the monetary base needs to expand through any means necessary, through any program necessary, whether it's fiscal, monetary, it doesn't matter. It needs to expand. And Bitcoin will be a, a beneficiary of that liquidity because it is the only truly decentralized and finite asset on the planet. All right. I feel like that puts that subject to bed. Why don't we do some announcements here? By the way, I also want to say uh, good morning and welcome to Jesse with Amboss. How's it going, brother? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, excited to uh, get started. You bet. We're going to keep rolling here with general discussion for probably the next 15, 20 minutes or so. And then uh, we'll dig in a little bit deeper with you, specifically Jesse. But uh, announcements here, and then we'll keep going. So you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin. We do it every day. The place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you can't catch the live show on Twitter Spaces. So next week, um, last time I'm going to be saying this because tomorrow I am not hosting. And then next week I am not hosting. But uh, next week... Um, Oh, yeah, that's right. So I'm going to be doing a, a range day. I think there's one to two spots left at this point. If you want to know more about that, shoot me a DM. Basically, we're going to go down to Homestead at the Air Force Base down there, and we're going to pew pew together. We're going to have we're going to provide the instructors, range safety officers. If you're a beginner, that's okay. DM me for details. Uh, next week, I will be at the Bitcoin 2023 conference in Miami with some of the SWAN crew. Terrence Yang is going to be guest hosting all week. Starting on Tuesday uh, next week, Tuesday and Wednesday is going to be the Thank God for Bitcoin 
uh, portion of the conference, go ahead and check out the nest. If you want to know about how to get tickets to, to, to get to that, you get to explore the moral and metaphysical foundations of money. Preston Pish, Robert Breedlove, Greg Foss, Nico, many others are going to be there. Finally, as you guys know, toxic happy hour pleb party guys, it's sold out. If you waited, I'm sorry. Uh, I guess all the tickets are gone. However, uh, we do have some tickets for Swan Private left. If you're a friend of Swan or you're Swan Private, you can DM me. And uh, if we have any left, we'll, we will hook you up. So all, all six, all 615 are, are sold out. Six, yep, exactly. Nice. 615, actually, my nice. understanding. 6.15. Yep, six point, that's going to be a crazy. Time, that's gonna, time 100. Yes. Good times. Uh, hey, did you guys see this thing with Tether? So apparently Tether has started reinvesting profits. Maybe they've been doing it for a while, but according to this, they're they're reinvesting profits and excess reserves into Bitcoin. Uh, and in Q1, according to their attestations, uh, my understanding is these are not audited financials, which a whole ton of people in the world are like, why the hell don't you actually have audited financials versus attestations? I don't know the answer to that, but according to their attestations, they have bought 52,670 Bitcoin in Q1. They reported a Q1 profit of about $1.5 billion, um, which is crazy. Uh, compared to Goldman Sachs, a 150-year-old bank with 48,000 employees who declared a Q1 profit of $3.2 billion. So they're making... According to their attestations, 1.5, uh, half, roughly half of what Goldman is doing. Wild stuff. Tether makes money by earning interest on U.S. treasuries while paying their depositors nothing. The higher interest rates go, the more profit Tether earns. The Fed and the U.S. Treasury are now basically subsidizing Tether's Bitcoin purchases. Um it's wild. Apparently, there's enough demand for digital dollars outside the U.S. banking system that even if it earns nothing, Tether issuance keeps growing. Do you guys have any thoughts on this? This is wild stuff. Yeah, oh, it sure. seems really strange that a that a stable coin makes money. I'm not quite sure that I buy. They're making that. money on their treasury. So yeah, I mean, they're Peter, they're buying. They say they're making money on their treasury. Correct. Correct. This, this, this is, is a money, This is a money printer. <laughs> no, the, 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 that's a bit of a conspiracy, which you can go there if you want, but they uh, they hold U.S. treasuries, and the U.S. treasuries pay a rate, and they don't give you that rate, so it's all profit to them. Yeah, so they it don't makes need to perfect take sense. It makes perfect sense. They don't need to take any risk. They just need to sit back with their sort of low-risk strategy of just letting the government give them shitloads of money and letting rich people give them money. <laughs> that they buy treasuries with they're basically a bank you know like without the without, without the the fdic back uh you know, I'm, guarantee i'm surprised i mean how how are they allowed to buy treasuries to this magnitude how are they allowed to i mean i don't yeah. know you how tell me to? it's like it, how do you if, buy if, a treasury well like communist china has treasuries so you got to think there's a lot of countries all over the world that yeah, own I, treasuries. 
I I think that if they're if they're coming with billions of dollars saying they want to buy treasuries, do you think that the banks are going to tell them no? Yeah, Mm. that's a good point. Probably. Has anybody ever anybody looked up uh, like bearer bonds? Have you ever seen that? Like like literally just anybody who has the bond, anyone has. There used to be. I've heard of this. Yeah, Yeah. I heard of this. It's just just fascinating. Um, uh, It's funny if you go on my profile. I have this. post uh, it's from like the second spider-man comic ever in my banner and uh it uh, involved the situation with a guy who's going down the street and he had like a fortune and bearer bonds in his briefcase and they were stolen in the comic and like this was like the second or third page of the comic i think it's hilarious because like people used to do that right there'd be no intermediaries no custodial issues you used to be able to take physical bearer bonds um i think that's i think it, by the way isn't that the plot of, like die hard as well yep. yeah first, i was just I gonna say that. joe the first die hard that's the plot yeah, it's just interesting. Like now, we, we we still again we're more in the digital realm where we're like we're relying on custodians. But that used to be a regular thing. Like you know, wherever whatever country you're in, as long as you got your briefcase worth of bearer bonds, whoever controls it controls it, and they have to be they're they're worth interest, and they get interest paid for when you cash them in, etc. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you back the clock up, everything used to be a bearer instrument for the most part. I mean, this world of custody that we have now is actually fairly new in the in the arc of human history. Yeah, stocks and yeah, stocks as well, right? Yeah, but the reason and, the reason I thought of that is because the question, you know, Brad was saying like, well, the Chinese government has treasuries. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And and by the way, they they have treasuries uh, that they hold in American banks. They have treasuries they hold in foreign institutions. They have treasuries they hold in non banks. Um, you know, there's all sorts of uh, ability for folks to, that are uh, perhaps not not favorable in the eyes of the U.S. government to hold treasuries. <laughs> and at the end of the day, there's always gold, right? Bear no. instruments. No, Alex. No, no gold. Well, you don't. You don't like gold. You're making the baby lizard sad. I mean, it's it's a, also a bearer instrument, right? But obviously, the pro the problem with gold is that it's heavy and it's physical, and it can be taken from you, and you need people's permission to move it, which sucks. Like I learned that the hard way because I used to run a physical gold fund out of Switzerland. What I said, and it can be faked. Eh, that's not as big of a problem in the in the sort of institutional scale. I think J.P. Morgan would say differently, considering they have bags of rocks. Wasn't that supposed to be silver, though? Yeah, that wasn't gold. Don't, but don't I mean, so occasionally, look, occasionally these things do happen in the institutional trading gold, but there's a chain of custody. And uh, as long as it stays in what's called the good delivery system, it's generally pretty well known that it's real. Trust. Nobody handles it. Yeah. Trust but, me. But it's back I'm to the trust the good thing. delivery system. It's back to the trust thing. You're right. You're right. Fair point. I won't swap out your gold with rocks. I'm in the good. I'm in the good delivery system. I'm I'm trustworthy. I would never well, do that. the the difference is that uh, you know those it's those are all known entities. Like you're not gonna. Didn't um. What was the what was the mint that that has slightly less gold content? I know they're not as trusted. Are they in the Are they in the trusted whatever? Like custody chain. Yeah, there's there's mints that do that. Um, but there's this list, it's called the LBMA good delivery list. So 
I don't know how many of you guys actually give a crap about this stuff, but I'll explain it because you asked me. The, the good delivery system, the way it works is that there are what's called referees. And there are, I think, five of them in the world, if I'm not mistaken. There might be more, there might be less. But I think I, re I recall it's around that number. What the referees do is they take dip samples from all the other refineries and they certify them as good delivery refineries or not. So again, this all comes back to the human trust thing, but that's how so, the system works. So Alex, is this, an, is this analogous to the five nodes that verify all of uh, the, uh, the ether? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Sounds, well, I, yeah, okay, okay, nice. And it's just the way the system works. I'm not advocating for it. I'm just explaining it because you asked. Alex, yep. did you did you ever comment on the Canadian airport thing? I didn't because I don't care. I mean, it's it's a thing. People, you know, gold gets stolen. Dude, one of the biggest things that like I think is hilarious is that you 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 move gold on two levels. You move it either like on a on a large scale level. You move move it on a small scale level. And if you're a small scale level guy and you're trying to move gold around the world and you're not doing it through quote approved channels, what does it mean? It means you're stuffing kilograms of gold usually up your rectum and trying to cross uh, trying to cross international borders that is so insane to me like why why when you can move any amount of value with bitcoin to, to instantly at almost no cost sphincter. it's all about strengthening the sphincter can you imagine how freaking uncomfortable that would be oh my god for like that, what well, if it's an well, eight hour yeah. trip roll it really thin yeah much easier to shove a, a ledger up your eyes than a kilo <laughs> It's also much easier just to memorize 12 words. Yeah, hey, I got a question. I, I, got, I got a question. Um, if, a miner, if a miner in Canada acquires Bitcoin and a miner in Dubai acquires Bitcoin, are those Bitcoin they acquire different at all? No. I, I do find it kind of interesting, the whole Peter Schiff thing is that you have you have people with gold on one side of the world and people with gold on the other side, but they're trying to exchange value or do a trade with someone as a third party. Why don't they simply move a ledger and say, you know, do the paper thing, but verify it with Bitcoin? Like, is it just easier just to admit that? You need paper products. Wait, to... do a paper thing and then verify it with Bitcoin. What? Well, like, well, they're exchanging value, right? This happens at the London Exchange quite often. There's like four and a half times paper gold than there is gold at the exchange. And they, I mean, they continue to inflate it based on this older system. Meanwhile, if you're dealing with the Chinese, they, they'll settle with physical gold within a week if you want them to. And I, I think that it's, yes, Bitcoin's easier to move instantly, but if you're dealing with paper products and like there's all of this overhead at the end of the day in the gold uh, markets between dealers and, and purchasers and shops and the actual COMEX exchanges and their fees and all this other stuff, why don't they simplify it? Because simplify it how, Nate? <sighs> He's talking about he's talking about when Peter Schiff said, "Well, we should just create a gold coin, a gold crypto coin, to do the same thing, right?" It's oh, it's moronic. The problem with that is, look, I had a handful of guys come to me back in the day when I was in the industry. They were like, "Hey, 
we should do this gold-backed token. This, by the way, this is when I really started studying um, Bitcoin more thoroughly is because I started looking at the possibility of doing that. And I pretty rapidly came to the conclusion that the entire space was full of shit coins. Like the, the, the one that really freaking blew my mind was when I ran across homeless coin. When I came across homeless coin, I literally went back to this group of dudes and I'm like, guys, these are scams. This is 100% scammery. And it, it, it's not going to work. Like you're, you're wasting your time. Sorry, Nate, I wasn't trying to put words in your mouth, but I think that's what you're talking no, about. No, you're Just fine. Paper with paper instead of a, a token, right? It's moronic. You're reintroducing the problem that you're trying to get rid of with right. Bitcoin. The problem that you're trying to get rid of is the human trust component. Like as long as, here's the problem, like even if it's backed by gold, but there's still dudes at the vault. There's still dudes guarding that thing. There's still Not people who have to move it with, with armored trucks. Those human beings can screw it up. Not only, the not only that, Alex, I mean, that's like, that's the trust component on the actual physical side of things. But a lot of these fucking stupid, you know, bullshit blockchains that are doing, you know, gold, black, gold, gold backed uh, uh, tokens and shit, like they're blockchains that are totally centralized and totally controlled by like single entities. So not only on the physical side, do you have the trust component, but on the blockchain side, you have the trust component too. And the whole fucking point of a blockchain is to make an immutable ledger. So if you've Immutable. got a centralized... Non, meaning non-fakeable. You can't non, fake it. You can't forge it. Non-fakeable and you can't roll it back. You can't rewrite transactions. That's the whole fucking point. So if you've got a blockchain, and by the way, this is why Bitcoiners call everything a scam that's not Bitcoin. If you have a blockchain that can be easily rolled back or, or, or rolled back more easily, or you can, you know, like redo a transaction or, you know, do whatever, right? If you've got that kind of blockchain, then you are completely pointless. Like you're, you're totally missing the fucking. Here, here's the point. other thing. So here's the, here's the so-called brilliant idea with these gold back tokens, right? Here's the brilliant idea. What they do is they audit the gold, right? They audit the gold. The gold has serial numbers. They know where the bars are. They can get the exact weights. They, they then put all this on the blockchain. What's the problem? Who's auditing the gold? It's a human being, you dumbasses. There was a, um, well, well, Alex, a couple, what a couple in, weeks ago, hang on, there, a couple weeks ago, there was the Kitco coverage of the, the Precious Metals Convention. I think a lot of people saw that. And one of the interviewees talked about the gold-backed yuan and the immutability of the Chinese blockchain. I swear to God, those are the words that came out of his mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. And so it, I was trying to get around to that, but... I think it's it's the you're you're attempting to solve push a simple sim, simple solution into a very complex environment in which gold is intentionally complex because you need to audit the gold you need to trust the people around the gold and then that there needs to be that network that Alex talks about but all alongside that everybody that is there is extracting value from the maintenance of auditing that gold and securing that gold. And it's just a giant tax. And if that wasn't necessary, there's no incentive for them to be there. Clowning I, on gold is almost as fun as clowning on Brad. Is that my cue to uh, raise yes. my uh, lower my hand? 
No, no, that's your cue to, you got to jump in here. He wants you to defend yourself. That's what's happening here. No, I just, before we move on to the Amboss thing, I just wanted to uh, put out some, I've been reading while we were talking about this, because I wanted to find out what percentage of Americans held the debt of mortgages. Because that, that argument that we were having earlier, the debate or whatever, to me, it seems like inflation only helps the people with low interest debt. And the data is that there's $16 trillion of mortgage debt spread across 83 million American. Um, it's hard to find out whether it's households or whatever. It's 83 million Americans. And there's 166 million Americans in the workforce. Not all of them are participating in the workforce. So half of, the, half of Americans hold the $16 trillion of debt meaning that the other half gets totally screwed by inflation because they feel the rising costs of food and energy way more than the, the wealthier people that, that own that productive debt, if you want to call it that. That's the thing that I'm interested in finding more. Anybody has any data on that? Um, so, so, Brad, really, it's the other, it's the other uh, 6.5 billion people on the planet that really get screwed by, by that, by what you're talking about. Well, the other thing you have to keep in mind is not all real estate is, is created equal. So there's tons of places in America where you buy a house and then it doesn't go up in value, even when inflation goes up because it's a fucking totally shit neighborhood. Yeah, one more thing, too, is that I think Joe also was pointing to businesses, uh, corporations, small businesses uh, holding that long term debt and how inflation helps them, too, in, in the equation. Well, the argument I hear from macro people is that inflation is good for the average person because if people are in such high levels of debt that it actually makes the value of their payments kind of go up because their their debt is inflating away. But I find that's just like a post hoc sort Brad, of nationalization. Brad, that truck, because that truck that you bought, that truck that you bought recently for to replace the stolen one. Did you pay cash for that? Did you did you just buy it outright or did you buy it on credit? I paid cash for it, but okay. I, I know so, most people so don't. If you were if you were smart financially, you would have bought it on credit because every month you get a discount on your payment. So if I was smart financially, I wouldn't have left the keys in it with the door unlocked. Yeah, and so by the way, I mean this 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 whole argument it only it only really makes sense if your income is going up with the inflation because then the payments you're making are actually, you know, relative to what you're earning are going down. But if your if your income isn't going up, then it really doesn't make a difference. You're still getting. But screwed. does it? Does that even matter if the value of the dollar is going? Doesn't it like equal out, kind of? Because the value of the dollar is going. Wages always lag. Huh? Yeah, well, I just, if I your just feel like not going up. This, then, arc, then this, this argument that inflation other. helps people because it deflates their debt, in essence. I don't agree with it. I just think it actually hurts more people than it helps because the rising cost of living. Yeah, is felt more than the benefits you get from your the value of your debt deflating. Unless you're an asset 100%, 100%, owner, hundred percent, hundred percent. And it I helps you. So it's like things are going in two opposite directions with inflation. I, I don't think I the fifty percent gas inflation cost like helped me at all. I don't think the the, the what is it twenty five percent increase in cost of food went up. Uh, helped me at all with my debt. 
Jesse, if you have any thoughts on any of this stuff, just jump in here, man. These knuckleheads will keep going <laughs> nonstop. If you don't. Let's, 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 give, let's give him a chance to do his thing. Let's, we'll we'll harp on this all, all day. Uh, you guys have been talking a lot about uh, credit and debt. And uh, like part of, the, part of the problem that, that we're solving is how to create a, a payment network like without, without debt, without credit. And and how does that work? And that's it's a it's a very complex question. But uh, right now we've got a a payment system that completely relies on it. Um, I mean, just uh, like just like earlier, what was it last month uh, when Silicon Valley Bank uh, declared bankruptcy? You know what actually happened was you know we were in the middle of processing payroll for for all our small startup um, in. You know, like we recently uh, completed, uh, you know, seed financing, and so like, you know, like money's money's like tight for us. But the fact that we were processing payroll, and and then there was uh, a, a lapse um, in the in one of the intermediaries, Silicon Valley Bank, that meant that we essentially lost lost the payment because there was there was debt and credit, you know buried in the in the payment processing system and that's like with an ACH payment so uh just the fact that that we have like debt and credit within our payment network is is a huge problem and uh so so that's like that's really the the idea that we're we're trying to solve so that you can remove all credit and debt from the payment network itself and the and the time mismatches, right? Like this is one of the things we deal with at Swan too. Is like people ask all the time, well, how come sometimes there's holds on Bitcoin? If the Bitcoin is bought by ACH, this is what people don't understand. If you hit smash instant buy in the Swan dashboard or or whether you're using the app or whatever, that secures the Bitcoin. It buys the Bitcoin right there on the spot. It's allocated to your account, and then. After that, within a couple of days, there's an ACH pull against your uh, bank account. Now, there's a time mismatch there. And not only that, not only is there a time mismatch, but with ACH, those things are actually reversible, right? So if, if somebody, you know, really wanted to be a jerk, they could come in, assuming we didn't have holds, right? They could come in, they could instant buy X amount of Bitcoin. If we, if we allowed instant withdrawals on ACH, they could pull the Bitcoin. And then reverse the ACH, and we'd be screwed. So, wait, wait Alex, one second. I'm getting my pen. Can you say that again? <laughs> we don't allow it. So, especially if it's if it's a, a mustache apple, those are very sketchy. When you go through AML, no, yeah, mustache apples yeah. are automatically put on naughty lists. That's that's absolutely right. I mean, the the settlement period for final settlement um, in the fiat system is like could be as much as sixty days uh, until like. We could actually like reverse the payment in in the fiat system, and uh, that's that's not a good system. Uh, like what you need is is a money system without all the trust that's involved in it. I mean, uh, it's like one of the f the first sentence of uh, Satoshi White Paper. Um, so so what we're focused on is is actually building a, a payment network alternative to that in a decentralized manner. Uh, so. So, like, our goal for for Amboss is to provide the the data analytics to actually build the alternative uh, and and make a solid system that that doesn't rely on on all this trust and all this debt and credit. 
And interestingly enough, this is a, I'm glad you said that because when it comes to Bitcoin, that's one of the biggest problems that was solved with Bitcoin, with the invention of Bitcoin was, okay, ask yourself the question. We've had digital money for a long time, right? Why, if you have digital money, do you have to have intermediaries? Why do you have to have banks? Why do you have, you have to have Visa, MasterCard? The reason why is because if it's digital, you can just copy it. And if the, if the cost of copying it is free, then anybody can do it. So what do you end up with? You end up with a requirement for a trusted middleman, a trusted intermediary. And the problem with that is that puts them in a position of leverage to screw everybody over time. And it's not cool, right? So this is why the expenditure of energy in Bitcoin is so important. Listen to me right now. This is a huge FUD point. People are saying, well, the expenditure of energy is useless. No, it's not. It's what allows us to make it so it can't be copied. It's what allows us to get rid of Visa MasterCard. It's what allows us to get rid of the banks. It's what allows us to get rid of central banks. And anybody who's part of that system wants you to believe that it's a bad use of energy. But I mean, <laughs> to me, it's like one of the best uses of energy humans have ever figured out. Oh yeah, uh, that's that's right. Oh, um, like maybe just to backtrack a little bit. Uh, I'm Jesse, also like Jessifer, uh, and uh, what I'm here to talk about is uh, Amboss.Space, which is a Lightning Network explorer. Uh, so kind of like creating that decentralized payment network and supplying the data for it. Jesse, tell us your your tell us your background, Bitcoin story, and then explain why you did Amboss. For sure. Uh, so. I studied uh, environmental engineering back in the day, and uh, I'll tell you like a bit why that's why that's relevant. Uh, but then uh, couldn't find work like after graduating, and ended up working in a call center handling class action lawsuits. And with a case that I was like put on was answering questions about overdraft fees. Uh, so so there was a class action lawsuit against banks. I didn't know this at the time, but it was basically all banks that would reorganize your credit and debit card transactions, sorry, your debit card transactions to maximize your overdraft fees. So they would, they would, they would do it in highest to lowest dollar order. And by doing that, uh, they would essentially make your bank balance zero out faster so that they could charge you more overdraft fees. That's uh, like around $35 a piece. So they were Man, taking advantage. Yeah. Which bank was this? Uh, name names here. So uh, the one that I was put on initially was was Citizens Bank. Um, and one of the big questions that was coming up for me was like, why don't people switch banks? And the answer was that all of the banks were doing it. Now, this wasn't illegal. And so most of these ended, ended in settlements. Um, but I realized that there wasn't a real like alternative uh, to to these until I found Bitcoin. And 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 then like I you know heard uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, who, who really resonated with me as a technologist, um, and then of course uh, Saifedean to help me understand uh, you know like high time preference and low time preference, uh, which are really powerful things to rearchitect society. So so kind of that that leads me to uh, like en engineering. Like I I got so into uh, Bitcoin that I wanted to buy gifts uh, for for my family um, in the in 2017, and like 
I don't know if you remember the mempool at in 2017 around Christmas time, but that was uh, I think the all time high for for the mempool. So I paid more in transaction fees uh, than than I actually paid for the gift, and then it didn't confirm in time. And uh, what I I bought like from Overstock at the time, and you need to deliver the money within 15 minutes. Well, anybody that knows Bitcoin knows that you're not going to get final settlement uh, within 15 minutes reliably. I mean, you know, Bitcoin's heart only beats about every 10 minutes. Uh, so it, it didn't confirm in time. They had to refund the money. I had to resend that transaction and pay exorbitant transaction fees. And, and that's when I realized uh, Bitcoin needs a scaling solution. And... And uh, at the time, you know, I was still listening to Andreas Antonopoulos and, and he was, had mentioned uh, the Lightning Network as a, as a pop, possible scaling solution. So that really pushed me in that direction. Got started uh, playing with the Lightning Network in 2018. And that's when I, I met my co-founder, uh, Anthony Potevin, and, or Tony IOI on Twitter. And, and he was creating Thunderhub, which was an open source node manager. He, he made that at a... At a, at a hackathon um, and that, that immediately got a whole bunch of traction um, and so we were uh, working together I was providing some feedback on Thunderhub and we realized like there there needs to be a way better explorer to understand what is happening on the lightning network uh, who are the players involved who do I connect to and and how do you bootstrap a payment network that scales Bitcoin and uh, can can enable lower transaction fees going forward that isn't reliant on all the trust and all the, the fraud involved um, with traditional payments. All right, so talk to us about Lightning. Like this recently, we've had this thing where, you know, the, the fees on main chain have gotten pretty crazy because of these BSVers. I think it's the BSVers anyway. Uh, and <laughs> it's been a bit of an issue. A lot of people are talking about it. This is, I think they did it, my personal opinion, to point out that that Bitcoin is not really a solution for, for large scale, whatever. Uh, maybe they want us to try to increase the block size. I don't know what they're, what they're getting at, but um, the, the, SATs, the SATs fee is coming down. However, I mean, it did point out that that this thing could get congested. What are your What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah. So recently, we've watched the BRC to uh, tokens take off, and and so those are going to be like minimum size transactions, and it's basically like proving that they just got into the blockchain. And and uh, one thing about the Bitcoin blockchain and, and block space in general is it is a preciously scarce commodity. Uh, that's in addition to Bitcoin scarcity, but also because we have, we, we kept small blocks um, at, for like SegWit um, and, and like the big blockers did not win. Uh, it makes it very expensive to get into the blockchain. And so that means you have an immutable record of your transaction held on hundreds of thousands of computers worldwide and, and creating a, a decentralized le ledger that will exist for all time. 
So, so that like that is a very precious commodity, and uh, and then like so BRC twenty is kind of they're creating tokens um, on on the Bitcoin blockchain. You know, we watched this happen with with Ethereum, and I think what what we're kind of witnessing is uh, people paid exorbitant fees uh, to create their their new token, and uh, essentially have priced themselves out uh, because. You know the Bitcoin block space is so scarce. Um, in addition, you know we've had ordinals inscriptions, which I think maybe ties better into this immutable record. Um, if if you think about like you know when your uh, when your house uh, is burning down, like this is one thing that I was told like uh, early on is that like when your house is burning down, what people grab out of their house. Um, that is most important to them is like their family photographs. Um, so like it is like back in the day before like everything went digital and everything stored on the cloud. But but basically like that's how I think about ordinals inscriptions is that you know folks are putting these images into the blockchain and and making it and adding it to this immutable record so that it can be stored forever um, on you know thousands of computers worldwide. Um, so. All in all, that that pushes transaction fees higher, and and that uh, reaffirms the need for uh, cheaper transactions on Bitcoin. And and uh, when creating a the Lightning Network, you have to uh, allocate your Bitcoin in a Bitcoin transaction into a channel, and that channel can be like can last for uh, over a year, for years, um, and you can have hundreds of thousands, millions of transactions that happen in a single channel. Uh, and that and to, doesn't... And to be clear, for, peop for people who are new, this channel is not on the main chain. This is not the, the no, it quote, is. Bitcoin. You have to be very careful with how you word these things, Alex. Um, okay, how would you word maybe, them? Maybe you want to explain how, how the Lightning Channel interfaces with on-chain. Yeah, so in order to create a channel you're actually making a Bitcoin transaction. And, and that is going to go, this Bitcoin transaction is going to go into a two of two multi-sig and act like a smart contract between the two people that are part of this channel. It is a truly peer-to-peer -peer financial system. Right, but and, Bitcoin and, can move back and forth on this channel without triggering additional transactions on the main chain, right? Correct. Exactly, exactly. And then at the end of the channel's life, uh, there's going to be you know the, a close of the transaction, and that can happen in a mutual way where both parties agree on what the payout from the channel should be, or a force closed channel where is is a case where they don't agree, and there's a couple of cases that that, that can happen. I think one thing that's important to realize with lightning and 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 bitcoin is that all of the the bitcoin remains on chain at all times and basically what's happening is you're you're making a transaction on on bitcoin on the base layer that is recognized by the lightning network as being a channel open and then it and then it allows you to kind of move those sats back and forth as many times as you want frictionlessly and free between the, the channel participants and then when either of the participants or both want to close the channel, they once again have to do 
a transaction on the base layer on chain to close the channel. So the opening and the closing is always on chain and the Bitcoin, you know, represented in, in on the Lightning Network is the exact amount that, you know, is in the chain or, you know, is, is in the smart contract on chain. So there's no way to like rehypothecate on Lightning. There's no difference between sats on Lightning and sats on chain. It's literally one for one. And, you know, the Bitcoin is always residing in that smart contract or that two of two uh, transaction on chain while it's on Lightning. Okay. There's, so there's been a lot of confusion as to like lately, like, you know, the BSVers again are flooding Lightning and they're saying that <laughs> Lightning coin isn't Bitcoin, but it, it literally is. Like they just don't understand it. Yeah, uh, that was it was beautifully said, Wicked um, and and Alex. Thanks for hammering that home. Uh, but really, every single Lightning transaction is actually a new signed Bitcoin transaction that can be broadcast at any time. So, so you are like prepared with everything you need to actually get your funds back um, on on the Bitcoin blockchain. Okay, so uh, so. What what problem does this solve? I mean, why 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 are why is everybody so excited about lightning? Um, one is it uh, it allows you to make cheaper, faster payments on Bitcoin, and it also removes the trust uh, from from the the payment system. Uh, in addition, there are privacy advantages. Uh, so right now, like if you go and use your Chase card, for example. Um, your data on purchases and you know your your name, address, whatnot is being transmitted through uh, several third parties and is often sold to advertisers so they can serve you more relevant ads. So really, we have a surveillance capitalist system as uh, traditional payment rails. Now, Lightning is is an alternative because when when you are actually making a transaction, you're only uh, updating. Uh, the 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 channel peer that you have on on what the balance and payout is, um, you're just making a, an agreement on on what the what the payout at the channel closure will be. So so you can actually have a payment that's going to hop between uh, multiple folks, and they're not going to know what the what the origin or the destination of this payment is, and it can hop anywhere globally. And uh, no one knows really what you're purchasing unless uh, you're you're the end recipient of this of this lightning transaction. Would um, would it be would would it be fair to say that it is impossible to reconstruct a a a route or a payment, um, or is it just highly difficult? It's it's insanely difficult. Um, but uh, yeah, you have to, like when we're talking about privacy. Um, it's it's really easy to to make uh, make big promises, um, but but there are uh, very sophisticated uh, analytics folks that, that might be able to like backtrace this. It, help help people easy. understand. Give some give give some context. When you say insanely difficult. What does that mean? Like if it think it through. If you wanted to yeah. try to do it, how would you try to do it? So um, let's see. Yeah, like a, a Lightning Network payment can actually take 12 hops is like the maximum. But you can get most places in about four hops. Um, so this is like degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon. Now, like in order to <laughs> reconstruct um, reconstruct a, a payment, you would actually need to see this, 
this payment amount match up between several players and like, who are you going to talk to? Um, you can ask uh, first person, okay, like, where did you get that money from? Well, it came in through this channel. And then you ask that next person, uh, where did that payment come in from? Uh, came in from the previous channel. But uh, so you're going to have to talk to every single person in the route. And if one person uh, isn't responsive, like you have, you have no idea where that payment came from. Wicked, um, what would you, how would you, how would the, you attack it? I was going to say, this is also not even considering the fact that you can open private lightning channels between two, two peers. So like if I, you know, if I open a lightning channel with Amboss and it's private, then we can, you know, send Satoshis back and forth between each other and nobody knows, you know. Okay. Like, and then, then, then what happens if you introduce Chamian mints and Fetty mints and all these other kind of things? I mean, that's a, that is a whole nother discussion. I don't know if we want to get into that, but. Okay. But, not deep, not deep, but just surface level. Does that make it like insanely, does it make it insanely impossible X 10,000 or what? And if, if there's a lot of people using, uh, for example, a cashew mint, which is built on top of lightning, then the anonymity, the anonymity set for those participants would be, would essentially make it impossible to know what's happening inside of that mint. Yes. Okay. What if you had supercomputers? Could you know? What if you had, like, what the if only, you were the, the FBI only, and the no. CIA and the NSA and you had supercomputers? Could you know? No. You, you could not. I mean, the only way that you could know is if you were monitoring all the network traffic coming into that Mint's, uh, uh, you know, uh, network, right? Because obviously you have to, like, send the Mint your eCash when you redeem it or when you want to make... Um, yeah, when you want to redeem the eCash. So like if you have somebody spying on the Mint's uh, network, then they could see who's redeeming eCash, I suppose, and like, you know, tie that to IPs. But um, in terms of like the the, 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 the the transacting of the eCash, I mean, Alex, I can send you, you know, one set of eCash right now in Twitter messages. So, and, and, you know, according to Elon Musk, those are going to be encrypted pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so like, we'll see about that. But anyways, even we'll if it wasn't encrypted, you know, I could send you one set of eCash in an app, you know, in, in an actually encrypted, um, you know, messaging uh, app, right? And so like, that kind of adds a whole nother layer of complexity, but also, okay, yeah, could, could make Bitcoin, you know, look, super, look. super, super, super anonymous. Sure. Okay. Let's keep rolling. So cheaper, yeah. faster, more private, insanely more private. Jesse, uh, what are you guys doing? What's Amboss doing in Lightning? So we got about 15 minutes left. Why don't we talk a little bit about what you guys are working on, what you're excited about. And then if you're cool, we can open it up for questions. Certainly. Uh, so like with, with those, additional factors and the fact that we're operating a, a payment network that that doesn't use debt and credit what you what you have is a fully reserved payment network and that means that you need to allocate your bitcoin in the direction of payments and uh, so that you can actually do settlement now this this becomes a very difficult problem the lightning network is already like it's in its infancy but it's already incredibly complex. So what we have right now is 17,788 nodes. So so with those with those 17,000 nodes, who are you going to allocate your bitcoin to to ensure reliable payments? Now, this is a big problem when you're dealing with a fully reserved payment network. And so this is this is where Amboss comes in because 
when you're making this decision, uh, because it's it's so complex, we can we can look at every node's history on this network, and you you can think of it like uh, you know like the the early internet. There's only a, a couple of nodes. Well, we've got seventeen thousand nodes on this on this payment network, and they all have different fees and different policies and a different reputation. So so what Amboss provides is one data analytics for the Lightning Network. And two, uh, it's basically profile pages for, for every node on this new payment network. And so you can look up the historical fees, you can get in contact with the, with the other folks on the payment network, and you can also you know, join communities of folks that are, are dedicated to supplying liquidity to El Salvador to, to make the payment system work. Now, like, uh, let's see, Amboss is coming up on its second birthday uh, tomorrow. Uh, so we're really excited about that uh, as as like a, a young startup in in Lightning um, and Plebnet started uh, just a couple of days ago. Aaron Malone uh, tweeted that. Um, so congrats, Aaron, for uh, helping to launch Plebnet, which which really started up as a dedication to like supplying liquidity to this new payment network. And okay, that so was coming. Yeah. Let me. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm, I need to settle this in my mind if you don't mind the so what you're saying is emboss is indexing basically and in, in creating sort of a directory of all of the different lightning nodes that exist am i understanding that right exactly so so um, so, if, so so, yeah. so you're going to be like the google of lightning maybe uh yeah you can think of it like that um now like it's easier for me to think in terms of like uh, of other networks. So you could think of us like Waze for the Lightning Network, the, the navigation app. So like for transportation, we've got we've got a whole network of of roads uh, that, that can bring you from point A to point B. And in a lot of ways, Ambos acts like like Waze for the Lightning Network because we're we're crowdsourcing information about the network to to lower uh, the the price of anarchy. Where, which, where people, is, which is yeah. brilliant. So what you're telling me is you're being fed information by lots of individual actors as well. So not only are you indexing, you have everybody helping you indexing. Exactly. Um, and the overall goal is to improve the performance of the Lightning Network. So what we have by default is a very private, very decentralized payment network. But decentralized networks are messy. Um, and so like us being being Bitcoiners and in a, a hub for information, um, people are feeding us additional information to help us make reliable payments and help us be a very uh, terrifying competitor to traditional payment networks. So like one thing is that Lightning doesn't work all the time. And sometimes you have to, you know, attempt different routes, uh, whatnot. You might only get 60% payment reliability. Uh, but okay, like I'm, I'm curious about that. that. Why, why does that happen? Why, why does it only? Why does it sometimes fail? Like I've had that happen to me before, and I've just tried it again until I got it. But I I was curious as to why it was current occurring. Yeah. So what we have on Lightning is is source based routing. So um, imagine like you're you're a truck. You're like yeah, you're driving a big truck. You've got a huge load. It's it's super tall. Now how are you going to navigate? Um, from point A to point B. 
Now, like on this transportation network, sometimes there are clearance requirements. So you're going to have an overpass that's maybe a bit too low. So you're going to run into that issue and hopefully not make contact with that with that overpass, but you're going to have to like turn around and try again. Your route was not perfect when you when you started this. And so that's what we have in the in the in the Lightning Network. So sometimes there's not enough liquidity to actually settle a payment. And so sometimes you need to take a detour. So so Amboss is is very dedicated to helping to map this Lightning Network and help you find a detour that works for this large payment, this huge uh, truckload that you have to help you get to point B in a mm-hmm. in an efficient way this at is- low cost. This is super exciting stuff. Talk, talk to us about how people can invest in your company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, like reach out to us. Um, like uh, we've we've been very fortunate to to have really awesome investors. So like we just closed our seed round, um, backed by by Stillmark and Elise Colleen at, at Stillmark. Like deeply understands. Uh, the, the data analytics opportunity here, um, as well as we got uh, Valor Equity Partners and, and Draper Associates to that that are like all strategic folks that that have recognized that uh, data analytics is extremely important. Um, to Jesse, solve have payment you, yeah, have you spoken to the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund guys? Uh, I don't believe I have actually. Okay. Offline, we'll talk about offline. I'm gonna make an introduction. By the way, I'm not being paid by these this guy to say this. This is genuinely exciting to me. This is the reason why I asked him. For those of you who are wondering, Wicked, what's hey, up? Hey, hold on, Jesse. Wicked is gonna ask you for data because you are talking his language right now. Well, I already know that they have a free API. So thanks, Peter. But um, no, I was gonna ask about that API. But but one thing I wanted to ask though is um, in terms of uh, payment. Uh, uh, um, what's the word like payments going through successfully right what is like what's the data showing historically is that trending um higher are we getting like more successful routing as the network grows and gets better connected Uh, this is maybe one of the most frustrating aspects of the lightning network is um a lack of actual payments data so like people would ask like how many transactions are going through the lightning network and the real answer is that we don't know, um, which is like amazing for for privacy. Uh, what we do know is like, you know, capacity. So this is like how much could potentially be settled at at one time on the Lightning Network. Um, so that's like the best indicator that we have. And the other indicator that we have is because like we operate a marketplace for people to buy and sell Lightning channels now. This allows people to earn yield on their Bitcoin um, by creating utility on 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 the Bitcoin payment network. Uh, so so like from the yields that people are getting, we get an idea of of what the demands are. Um, so okay. like how much now, how much do you get settled? I, I'm sorry to in- interrupt you again. I'm just so fired up about this. So like, can somebody use this to allocate? Maybe they don't want to run their own Lightning channels, but can they provide? Bitcoin as capital for lightning node operators or channel operators and collect some kind of uh, profit from that? Uh, There isn't a system right now to do that, but uh, I can tell you about two tools which would enable that. So, but what I'm telling you does involve trust. 
So what you can have is, is a skilled node operator act as your custodian uh, for this. So, so what you can do is like this, this node operator uh, could be using AMBOSS to allocate their channels and, and also sell channels through our Magma marketplace. But in addition, they could run a tool called LNBits or maybe even Cashew, uh, which works very well with LNBits and allows you to have accounts within your, your Lightning node. Now, like this Uncle Jim node that is uh, helping you get onto the Lightning network is able to sell channels and uh, may be willing to share some of the yields that they're getting um, from providing liquidity on the Lightning Network with you wow. as an account holder. That's crazy. This is possible, so, so this is possible today. I'm if if I'm understanding this right, that then you know maybe however many years into the future, there's going to be a, a a professional class of Lightning Node operators, channel operators, and they're going to be leveraging people's Bitcoin who don't necessarily have the savvy to do all this stuff you're talking about, but like these people will be able to basically this could possibly be like the, the foundation of the next generation banking system. Am I crazy? You're not at all crazy. Um, and I could tell you right now that those people exist right now uh, because, you know, PlebNet has been active for two years and this organization has been dedicated to educating folks um, and so a way they've been kind of leveling up the knowledge of the Lightning Network while we've been able to focus on building that data analytics infrastructure to, to help optimize the network. Man, this is so mind-blowing. Okay, you cool if we open it up for some Q&A? We got about six minutes left. We'll give you a couple minutes to close up uh, with closing comments and then we'll wrap. Let's do it. BJ, what's up? Hey man, uh, Jesse. Thanks for being here, brother. Uh, I set up my I set up an Umbral node in March of last year, and um, it was actually BTC Sessions that pointed me in the direction of uh, of Amboss. I guess you guys were operating for like six months or so, and I got to tell you, it was it was awesome. Everything else that I was trying to use to learn Lightning was impossible. You you had by far the easiest service. And everybody who's listening here, Foss included, I got to tell you guys, uh, it was a humbling experience. I realized how little I understood about the Bitcoin network until I set up my own node and started to navigate the uh, the Lightning network. Um, Jesse, the analogy I was told, and correct me if you think this is uh, correct or not, is when you set up a node and you start opening channels and pass to um, for Bitcoin transactions, it's almost like having your own ISP on a financial network that's built around Bitcoin, and that's how people are earning yield on transactions. Is that a fair analogy in your opinion? I would say so. You know, like, to be honest, I'm not an expert on ISPs, uh, but, but like every node on the network is able to forward payments. Um, and by forwarding payments, uh, they are able to capture a fee, and, and we're tracking that, that fee, whether it's a base fee or whether it's a fee based on the size of the payment. Uh, we'll be able to track that like historically. So, so basically, uh, like I, I have some friends that are receiving payments over the Lightning Network. So I've, uh, I've allocated some of my Bitcoin to my friends that have started up a new business on Lightning. And so I can connect to all, all the other uh, folks that I know from Bitcoin Twitter 
that want to be able to pay to uh, you know my my buddy selling selling some swag or whatever. Um, so I can collect a fee because I have access uh, to that that destination, and I'm supplying the liquidity. And uh, yeah, I'm entitled to uh, capture a fee. But and, you're going to be in competition with everybody else around you. So uh, and yeah, a, a, quick, a quick a quick follow up. Sorry, is um, do you have any suggestions? For people who are trying to open lightning channels, that seemed to be the big uh, stumbling block for me, was trying to find uh, other nodes to open channels with. Any suggestions uh, for new for newbies? Yeah, um, let's see. There's some some cool tools available just to kind of like do the initial bootstrap of your of your node. Um, and so, like Lightning Network Plus is one of those tools where you can essentially like create a, a ring. Um, and then you can use Amboss to uh, to actually evaluate those those other nodes. Like, do I do I really want to be connected to those folks? Um, and so you're going to make you're going to make some decision uh, about that. Now, after you've done that initial bootstrap, then you can go onto Magma and start selling channels, and you can kind of uh, create your nodes uh, payment network uh, based on demand uh, for that liquidity. Thanks, man. Hey Jesse, don't don't you think that someone should really look into why it is they want to have lightning channels because it requires doesn't it require quite a bit of work? Um to be honest, it's really not that much work. Um it's a lot of it is uh let's see, this is uh, what we see like uh volume on magma is usually on the weekends. So this is like basically people's hobby project that they're setting up during the during the weekend, and then around Tuesday, they usually realize like, oh man, I didn't really make enough uh, channels and, and liquidity, so they hop back on Magma, buy some more channels, and uh, yeah, this helps bootstrap the the network. Um, we'll we're kind of monitoring uh, like when when our peak periods on on Magma, uh, but but yeah, it's it's evolving right now. It's all hobbyists, but this is quickly going to evolve into businesses and enterprises. Because they're going to capture lower fees, so like Visa and Mastercard, you're going to pay three percent. Well, on the Lightning Network, you're paying 003 percent in general. Um, I think average uh, median fee across the network is 0002 percent fee is what people are charging. That's amazing, and if I'm understanding correctly, that that is a byproduct of people actually competing for your business, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you're thinking about what payment provider you're going to choose right now, you got Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and choosing between those three, well, we've got 17,700 on the Lightning Network, which are all going to compete for your business. That's um, insane. And, yeah. All right. We got two more hands here. We got like one minute left. So lightning round. Dom Bay, you got 30 seconds. It's a longer question. I'm going to go uh, DM offline, but so awesome. All this stuff's incredible. All right, wicked. Uh, so you know, so Peter's right. I've asked about that API. Uh, do you guys have uh, historic data and, like, for example, you know, I don't know, like uh, number of Lightning nodes historically that have been on the Lightning network, like that kind of data from that API, or is it more current? Uh, yeah, we've got uh, just about everything that you can witness on the public Lightning network. Amboss.space slash stats. S T A T S. And uh, if you go to that domain, uh, that uh, URL, 
uh, you'll be able to see the historical capacity, you know, from Lightning Network's inception. And then you can see when we started collecting high quality data about that. And, and so now, and can, can, I, can I get that data via your API so that I can make my own animations with it? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's uh, you know, for non commercial use. If you'd like to uh, use it for commercial use, like definitely get in contact with us. But yes, uh, we've got a high quality GraphQL API. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. Is what I'm doing commercial use or not? I'm just making animations. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, have fun. Let's do it. Cool. All right, man. I'll, I'll try to be real quick. I know you guys want to go. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of, because of the high fees recently, we're seeing some people with difficulty accessing their Bitcoin, and we want to onboard more people to Lightning. So if we say we set up something with Blix, and we're running, a, a, we're attempting to run the Lightning node on our own phone, um, is there a way, since not everybody has 100% connectivity, and we see you know a node go offline, is there a a way you can flag something as a mobile network phone node, and we can connect to what we uh, would need to trust as a solid channel host on the other side in order to host our own, have our own channels in, and in any event that we go offline, so we just, we're traveling through a dark spot and we make it out the other side, we're not going to get closed on, but at least both sides understand that, that um, relationship. That's a great question. Um, I, I think overall, the ecosystem for mobile uh, hosted nodes is, is not great. Um, but like one thing to keep in mind is like we've we've added contact information or like users have added contact information for every node. Um, I'd encourage you to get in contact directly. I haven't seen a service really pop Voltage. up. Voltage. Like supports Voltage it. supportedly does that. Yeah, Voltage is a great service to to make it so that you can access your node via mobile, uh, but actually host your node in the cloud. All right, we're out of time. Jesse, man, this has been a great conversation. I think I've learned more about Lightning in this conversation than any conversation I've ever had in in on Lightning, and I've had a few. So thank you. I really appreciate it, man. It's been really good. I'd uh, love to come back, answer some more questions. You guys have been awesome, uh, phenomenal questions, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll definitely do it again, man, if you're cool. Right, so that's a wrap. We're at the end of the show. Tomorrow, we have John Har hosting Swan Private Macro for Cafe Bitcoin. Also, Stratum V2 fundraiser. Stratum V2 is the missing piece of the decentralization puzzle for Bitcoin. If you want to contribute to Bitcoin in a big way, donate to this project. Link in the nest. That's it. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. We do it live on Twitter Spaces every day. If you can't catch the live show, it is a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show, my crew, and Peter Sats for Life, Wicked Producer Jacob. I am your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks to all the speakers who come on here every single day. Appreciate you guys greatly and admire you for the, taking your time to teach people about this bright orange future. This is what we call getting on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang out. You'll figure it out, I promise. Love all you guys. Everybody have a great day and crush it. <laughs>